Flip over to James chapter number 3. We're going to read just the first couple of verses here, James chapter number 3, and then we will pray together and ask for the Lord's help, and then dive into the scriptures together this morning. So let's, uh, let's look at James chapter number 3, read these first couple of verses, and then uh, we'll pray together. James chapter number 3, verse number 1, the Bible says this, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Today we're going to dive into these verses, and really we're going to spend the bulk of our time in, in verse number one. In fact, if as I'm preaching through the message, uh, you may start to think, wait a second, are we ever going to get to verse number two? Because this might be the longest message in the history of Whitehall Baptist Church. Well, listen, we're just going to touch verse number two today, and we'll pick back up next week. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in verse number one. And so we're going to see what the Lord has for us today. Let's pray, ask for his help, and then we'll dive into the scriptures together this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity you give us to be able to open your word. I pray now that as we do that, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts, that you would, would work and move in our midst, and, and God, that you'd help me to have the words that you desire for me to say. I've already asked you, God, to, to speak through me. I've asked you to fill me. Now, God, I ask you to do what only your Holy Spirit can do. I ask that, that he would come and he would move in our midst, and Lord, for each person that's here, God, you would convict hearts and, and that you would move. And Lord, you know today's message is a little bit different. And God, even as I was studying and preparing, God, I struggled a little bit as I was preparing. But God, I know that, that this is exactly where we're supposed to be today. And God, I'm looking forward to what you have for us, how you're going to work in our hearts, move in our midst. And God, I just pray you'd remove distractions, help us, God, to be able to focus on your word for a few moments this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if there's a chapter in James that is probably the most well-known chapter in, in the, the chapters that are within this, this tiny book here, it would no doubt be chapter number three. Chapter number three, especially the first about 14 verses or so, are, are verses that are, that are often referenced and, and most of the time are probably the ones that are most preached from, uh, from, from the Word of God in, in the book of James. But today we're going to be looking at just that first verse. And it's interesting because as James, the human author of this book, the, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the, the first one in the New Testament to take a pen, to, to put it to parchment and record these words that we have for us this morning, James, as he was writing this book, doesn't spend much time in those first two chapters talking about himself. In fact, we know in the very first verse, he, he refers to himself, identifies himself as, as James, and and, and identifies himself as a servant, a follower of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He spends little time other than that really talking uh, uh, about himself. There's, there's one time that, and then chapter number two where he actually addresses himself, himself includes himself in, in, in the discussion when he talks about that we should be a kind of first fruit. When he's talking about the promise of, of the believer's glorification. But that's really the only time that he even mentions himself couple of chapters uh, of James, and he spends those first couple of chapters uh, pointing his finger to, to everybody else and, and saying, ye and you, and this is things that, that you need to work with, work on, and, and, and to that first century group of believers, he says, here's something that you're struggling with, and, and, and he would work his way through and, and point those things out to them and discuss it about them, and, and he dealt with favoritism and sin and, and faith without works, and, and, and over and over again, ye and you, he points the finger. Isn't it a lot easier in life to point the finger at everybody else? It's, it's, it's interesting because many times we will justify our own sin um, while pointing it out, the same sin out in the life of someone else. <laughs> I heard someone say one time, the best way to, to kind of get an idea of what your sin's like is if somebody else was doing it. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's amazing how we like to excuse ourselves and uh, like to justify our intentions and, uh, and, and justify and, and, and condemn everybody else's actions. Um, it's, it's just interesting how we do that. We spend all of our life, you and ye, and, and pointing our fingers. Much like what James was doing. James was doing it, though, under the inspiration of God. And most of the time we do it out of selfishness. But here we come to, to chapter number three. And for the first time, really, James includes himself in a warning or a challenge from this book that he's writing. In verse number 1, he says it right there, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And in the first two verses, he actually refers to himself. We, we, two times, 
identifying that this is an area that he too struggles with, an area that he too battles, an area that he has to watch out for himself. Once again, he begins the chapter with those, those two familiar words, my brethren, and, and, and he did this often throughout his book as he would take his arm and wrap it around those, those believers, those first century Christians, and, and bring them in close and say, listen, I've got something I want to share with you. Hey, I love you, I care about you, but this is something that we need to talk about. And You can really work your way through the book of James and you can kind of divide it up every time that he says, hey, my brethren, whenever he wraps his arm around him, here he is again doing this, and, and with care, he, he takes that pen and he writes it, these words. He pins these, these words. And over the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to deal with a subject that, that really was on the heart of James and is a subject that every person uh, dealt with. And listen, I'm going to tell you today, uh, 2,000 years later, every person in this room struggles with as well. You say, what, what are you talking about? How do you know I struggle with? Well, I can tell you, it's a battle that you face on a daily basis, and that battle is a battle with our tongue. The struggle of how we speak, the struggle of what comes out of our mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible tells us, the mouth speaketh. And that's exactly what was happening. In James chapter number 3, James is going to dive deeply into a matter that really just scratched the surface about, just began all the way back in in chapter number 1. In in verse number 19 of chapter 1, he said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. You probably have those notes in your your Bible or or on a piece of paper or things like that. If I asked you, you could probably tell me the points to that message. So we won't go back and rehash the whole thing. But we know this back then, all the way in chapter number 1, he began and just kind of just talked a little bit about the tongue. As he worked through chapter number 2, he addressed this matter of how what we say and what we speak oftentimes reveals the subject and the heart condition. But before he, he deals with the general struggle of the tongue that we all battle, he begins by addressing really a much, much smaller crowd. A smaller group, I guess you could say. A group that, that James says, I identify with. And as we dive into this, it, it could be easy for us in this room even to, to, to many of, of you and many of us to, to look at this and say, well, I don't, I don't need this, but can I encourage you, hold on, glass tight, glass tight, because we all need this. We've been working verse by verse through the book of James, and there's a reason we come to James chapter number 3. There's a reason that we're going to spend the day in verse number 1. You see, in verse number 1, James gives us a caution about teaching God's Word. A caution about teaching God's Word. Look again there, verse number 1, and what he says. He says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, now, Let's, let's dive into what James is saying here, okay? The word master that we find here that James uses is the Greek word didaskalos. You say, oh, okay, now that you said that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, you know, if you're like me, that, that means nothing, okay? Because how many of us in here actually know, fluently speak Greek, okay? Not, not very many? Okay, perfect, all right. So you're in the same boat as me, all right? Uh, so, so he says, be not many masters, be not many didaskalos. That word didaskalos, it, it means teacher, Teacher. That's, that's what he was saying here. He says, listen, for, for those first century believers, he says, listen, be not many teachers. You say, well, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, any of the first century believers would recognize, they would see Jesus as the one true teacher, the one true didaskalos, the one true master. That's the way that they would, would view him. He was Lord. He was master. He was the supreme teacher. And therefore, it was understood in that first century church that when the church referred to someone else as a didaskalos, they were identifying them as someone who taught the teachings of Christ. Someone that we could say it this way, that they taught the word of God. They were a teacher, a preacher in that first century church. And that's who he's talking about here. But why would he say here, hey, hey, be careful. Don't, don't, we don't need many didaskalos. We don't need many masters, many, many teachers. Why would he say something like that? Listen, because of the gravity of what was being taught. 
It wasn't something that was to be taken lightly. It wasn't something that was to be taken flippantly. James here gives a caution to those seeking to be a didaskalos, a teacher of the Word. What was happening in James' day was that people, people weren't seeking to teach God's Word because of the truth that was to be taught, but rather the platform that it would provide. They, they weren't looking for an opportunity of service and communicating truth. They were looking for opportunity to stand before a crowd for the recognition that would bring them. An air of pharisaical attitude attached itself to this thinking. And people wanted human praise. They wanted the accolades. And we've talked about that, that first century church that James would go on to pastor. I mean, it was a mega church. It was one of the greatest churches. I mean, absolutely incredible. The church of Jerusalem, now many say, had as many as 20,000 to 30,000 people in attendance. I mean, we're talking, it was a mega church. How incredible. And just as human nature has always been with the platform and praise, often comes pride. And it's with this in mind that James says those words at the end of verse number one. Knowing this, that we shall receive the greater condemnation. James, he, he wasn't trying to discourage people from surrendering to ministry. That's not what he was trying to do here. He wasn't saying these things so that people would go, wait a second, I don't want anything to do with, with ministry. I don't want anything to do with being a teacher of God. So that's not what he was doing. He was emphasizing the weight of responsibility that came with someone that was in that position of a teacher. In the position of a, of a preacher. In the position of somebody that was going to teach and proclaim the truth of God's word. Whether it's in a classroom or, or to a great congregation or, or in, a, in a stadium or in a coliseum. He said, listen, there is great weight that comes with portraying that truth. Because there were no doubt many that were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it not to convey truth. They were doing it to gain earthly praise and material gain. And many were sacrificing doctrinal truth to build a larger crowd. Times haven't changed much, have they? <laughs> no doubt we've all seen the TV preachers, the TV evangelists, right? That, that stand in front of coliseums, stand in front of stadiums of people. Some fill arenas of people. And listen, can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with, with having a big crowd. Hey, listen. If I showed up next Sunday and we had a thousand people waiting to get in the door, I'm telling you, I'd be praising God for it. I mean, that would be awesome. There's nothing wrong with, with a crowd of people and, and, and having a crowd of people in, in, in church to hear the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But listen, what they were doing was not uh, conveying truth to this crowd of people. No, no, no. They were changing the truths of Scripture to keep that crowd. Preaching against sin, listen, is a rarity today, isn't it? In those mega churches. Telling people about how good they actually are is more on par for the weekly message. And making people feel good. And making sure that, that whenever you leave the, the building, that, that you feel good about yourself and the person that you are. You feel good and, and everybody walks out with a smile. That's what it's all about. No, listen, friend, while that's the message oftentimes that accompanies Many of the quote-unquote mega churches. What was happening in the church of, of James's day? These self-proclaimed churches, they teach things that are completely contrary to the Word of God. All to keep a crowd. I saw just a couple of weeks ago, and maybe you did as well, it's amazing how, how churches that, and, and listen, many denominations, religions, churches, honestly started not too far off from each other. Some stemmed from the same root. Some of them came from different roots, but they weren't that far off from each other. They had some different differences, but they were a lot closer. But I saw just a couple of weeks ago as the Methodist church, a Methodist church had a trans person standing and speaking and preaching and teaching that God was gender neutral and, 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 and justifying this this new belief and that's, that's creeped in, and now it's not just creeping, it's overwhelming, this idea of, of, of a trans life and a homosexual life. Can I tell you, friend, that's just flat-out blasphemy. It's not true. It's not truth. You, you would have to, to go a pretty far stone's throw 
to make the Bible say anything like that. In fact, you'd have to take it and completely pull things completely out of context. Avoid complete passages of Scripture to justify something like that. Here's the key. We would willingly condemn such teaching. If I, if I, everybody in this room, if we, if we brought this up, and, and, and some more loudly than others, but, but we would all say, you know what, listen, according to the Scriptures, I would agree that according to the Bible, those things are wrong. Those things are sins. And, and that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. Just like uh, so many other things. Just like pedophilia is a sin. And just like uh, yeah, pornography is a sin. And, and, and just like stealing and lying and cheating. Uh, listen, that it's all a sin. We would say, listen, it's, it's a sin. It's true. We would all agree with that. But listen... If you spend an ounce of time studying God's Word, you'd know that these things are wrong. But here's where it gets really sticky. What about when the preacher or teacher stands up and preaches something that's a preference? Tress and I sat in a service just a couple of years ago. I'm not going to tell you where it was. It was in the Northwest. We sat in a service and... It was a service for preachers. There was, there was a bunch of preachers there. We're all standing there, sitting there as, as a man was standing up and, and, and we'll call it preaching. And he took a verse of the Bible and he pulled it out and he began preaching about it. And he stood up there, and I'll never forget this, and, and, and he stood up there and he said, listen, he said, if your wives are wearing pants, it is a sin. <laughs> and, and Tressa sat there and she looked at me and she said, I thought this is just something that you heard about. I didn't think people actually did this. <laughs> And, uh, and I remember th- them saying, he said, he said, listen, if you let your wife wear, wear pants, that's a, that's a sin. And I mean, he started, I mean, he just, I mean, for about a, an hour. I mean, preachers that preach on things like that, they preach for a long time, okay? Way longer than I preach, all right? But listen, I mean, they, they just, I mean, just, just, just pounding on it uh, about how, uh, if your wives, if they wear pants, listen, th- then that's a sin. I remember sitting in services as a teenager, as, as a man stood up and he shared about how he counted all the letters and all the words in the book of Revelation. And in some way it led him to believe that the very verse numbers that were in the Scriptures were inspired by God. And I remember him standing up there and, and there were people that were there that were hooping and hollering. and Whoa, that's, that's awesome. And all these different things. Completely neglecting the truth that, that the numbering system came far later from the time that the Scriptures were given. Set in services. When a word or a phrase was pulled out of Scripture and used to take a controversial position in some subject, and it was preached dogmatically. Can I, can I tell you what those things are? At best, they are preference. And at worst, they are pure deception. Listen, we could go through, and we probably all heard messages and things like that that were pulled off the wall, and you sit there and think, man, that was, yeah, that was crazy. Okay, that, 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 uh, you can't really find that in the Bible anywhere. And, and, and things that were twisted and things that, 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 that were used, and you can't find it anywhere else except for this one place where they twisted it to fit this, this special meaning. Listen, friend, there, there's, there's a caution that's given from James here. And that caution is this. Anyone that dares open this book and teach from it, He says, listen, one day you're going to face greater condemnation, greater judgment for having done this. And James lumps himself into it. See, one day every pastor, evangelist, missionary, Sunday school teacher, and any person that opens the Word of God to give a lesson will give an account for what it is that they taught. And with that weight of responsibility there comes a couple of things that I as pastor and our teachers of Whitehall Baptist Church must understand. There's some, some expectations that the hearers of the church should have when it comes to the preaching, the declaring of God's Word. Because listen, friend, can I tell you this? When you show up on Sunday morning or you come on a Wednesday night or we have a special service or something like that, can, you tell me, can I tell you what you don't need? You don't need to hear about my preferences. You need to hear what this book says. Because this is what matters. Right here. See, there's some things that there should be expectations as a hearer. There are important lines that as preachers, as teachers, we have to be careful 
just where we cross. You see, the teaching should be Bible-saturated. The teaching should be Bible-saturated. When, when Paul was instructing Timothy about his teaching and his preaching, there was one thing that he told him to preach. Listen, he didn't say preach an illustration. He didn't say, hey, give some rhyming points that everybody's going to listen to. Though, even though those things are often helpful, that's not what he told them. Listen what, what Paul told Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. He said, I charge thee, Timothy, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. He said this, Timothy, one thing, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. He said, Timothy, it doesn't matter about your, your stories about you growing up. It doesn't matter about all uh, the, the illustrations that you give or the points that you may come up with that rhyme and nobody understands. He said, Timothy, those aren't the most important things. He said, Timothy, let me tell you what matters. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. In 2 Timothy 2, verse number 15 and 16, he said, Timothy, study. Study. To show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing what? The word of truth. And he says this, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. Timothy, don't, don't get off on the rabbit trail of all these other things. He said, preach God's word. Study the truth. That's what people need. That's what changes lives. Solomon gave this challenge in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. He says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise. Listen, I want to be a wise preacher. And he says this, this, this is what he did. He still taught the people knowledge. He gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright. Even words of truth. Can I tell you what he was teaching? He was teaching the words of the book, the words of the law. The words of the wise, listen, there's goats. There's nails fastened by the masters of assembly, which are given from one shepherd. The words... From God. The preaching and teaching times ought to be saturated and supported with the Word of God. They have to be filled with the Word of God. Why? Because it's the Word of God that makes all the difference. Isaiah 55 verse number 11 says, So shall thy, my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish, accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Listen, friend, it is my prayer that those who come through the doors at Whitehall Baptist Church and listen to the message, that will, they will walk out of the doors of this church, not challenged by an illustration or personal testimony. Now, sometimes we give illustrations, sometimes we give personal testimonies, and sometimes we use them what? to shed light on what? The thing that really matters. The Word of God. You see, if you have a disagreement with what is preached, I pray that the message would have been so saturated with God's Word that your disagreement would need to be taken up, not with me, but with God Himself. There's a lot of good reasons. Well, no, there isn't. There's, there's not a lot of good reasons to leave a church, but one that should be a deal breaker above all else is if God's word is not being preached. The teaching should be Bible saturated. The teaching should, shouldn't be for, for man's approval. Shouldn't be for man's approval. Uh, right before Paul told Timothy to preach the word, he encouraged Timothy with this in, in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verses 3 through 5. He said, For the time will come. Timothy preached the word, but listen, the time's going to come. Well, they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. He says, but watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Paul knew that there would be a time when Timothy taught God's word, and it was going to be hard. It wasn't just going to be hard because of the crowd. It was going to be hard because of the passage of Scripture that he was going to be teaching can I tell you this, in the three, a little over three, three and a half years or so since God has, has allowed me to be the pastor here at Wild Baptist Church, since, since we started, we've been preaching expositionally, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. We, we, we went through First John, and we went through Matthew, and we went through Jonah, and we went through Jude on Wednesday nights, and we've gone through a number of books of the Bible, verse by verse. Can I tell you, in the time that we've walked verse by verse through books of the Bible, can I tell you this, there's been some hard, hard verses. There's been some hard chapters. Some that were just, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, like, I'm a simple guy. Some that were hard for me to understand. 
But there were some that, listen, were easy to understand, but they were real hard to preach. Real hard to preach. Sometimes because it was a mirror that I had to look into. Sometimes just because it was a subject matter that I knew was going to be a hard one to walk through for people. It was going to be a hard one to, to, to make our way through. Things that people don't want to hear. Things that will make them feel uncomfortable. And it's in those times that Paul says, Timothy... When all the people want is for you to tickle their ears, when all that they're going to want is to hear what they want to hear, and Timothy, they're not going to want to hear what you have to say from God's Word. He said, Timothy, let me tell you what to do. Just preach the Word. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16, he says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. Doctrine tells us what it's, what's right. Reproof tells us what's wrong. Correction tells us what, how to get it right. And instruction tells us how to keep it right. That's what the Word of God does. In, in Psalm 119, verse number 9, he says, This wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way. He'll tell you how. By, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. The teaching and preaching of God's word should always, always impact us. It should always work in our hearts. You see, unless you've achieved perfection in your life, you should always be challenged to grow and to change. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's not easy. To do. We already heard from James about the subject of, of God's word and how it should change us in, in James chapter number 1. But he said this in verse number 23. He said, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding a natural, uh, his natural face in a glass. And behold, he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way. Straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. Was it says, this, but whoso looking in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. He says, Listen, this book is like a mirror. That's what he says. It's like a mirror. And we won't rehash the entire message, but he said, Listen, uh, this, this book, this mirror, he said, When you look into it, it should show you some things, it should show you. Who you really are. It should show you the areas of your life that, that aren't what they ought to be. It should show you some imperfections that you need to work on. Some areas that you need to, to, to change and, and to, to become more like Christ. He said, listen, that's what this word should do for you. And while God's word is certainly a place of comfort and encouragement, and I'm thankful for that, it's also a place of correction. And if the teaching and preaching is always for men's approval, a large part of God's word would have to be either twisted, changed, or avoided completely. Just skipped over. Never preached about. Friend, I know by the commands of Scripture and by God that when we dive into the word of God, we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. Every word, as it was written, in its context... So that we can understand what God has for us. See, hear of God's word being taught. As, as, as hearers in, the, in this church, listen, you should expect the teaching to be Bible saturated. You should, you should expect the preaching of God's word not to be for man's approval. Not to, to come in here and just, just to make yourself feel good and, and to have your ears tickled and praise God we have messages like that but that shouldn't be our intention when we come to church listen friend the teaching of God's word should be with conviction with conviction we saw it here in this first verse James says that the teacher of God's word will stand under greater judgment for mishandling the word my brethren be not many masters he says knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Listen, one day, if you teach God's Word, if you preach God's Word, if you share God's Word, He said, listen, you will be held accountable 
for that which you say. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17 is a somber verse in the scripture for any pastor. It's one that, that weighs heavily on me. He says this, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now listen, we should just pause there and take this out of context and then you all have to do what I tell you to, okay? But that's not what this verse actually means. What it's saying is you need to submit and obey not, not to that person, but to the teachings that are given from God's Word. For the, those people, listen, they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Do you know as, as pastor here at Whitehall Baptist Church, God's word says that one day I will have to stand before God and give an account for the way that I under-shepherd the members of, of this church. You want to know one of the reasons I didn't want to become a pastor? It's because of this verse right here, okay? That's, that's heavy. That's weighty. That's a lot. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how it's all going to work, but one day God's going to pull out the membership of, of Whitehall Baptist Church, and I'm going to have to give an account of, of how I pastor the people of Whitehall Baptist Church. Can I tell you this? That thought is terrifying. Sobering. It's also motivating. It's convicting. You know, every, every preacher has a different style. No, no two preachers are exactly the same. I mean, everybody has a little bit different. Sometimes you pick little quirks up from, from one person or another, but every preacher has a, a different style. And listen, every person connects to different preachers. Growing up, my favorite preacher, I loved to listen to him preach, was a preacher by the name of Lou Rossi. All right? uh, most of you have probably never heard of Lou Rossi, but he used to travel in evangelism. And Lou Rossi, let me tell you what, he was a yeller. Or a screamer. Uh, it wasn't really a screamer because he, he never screamed. He just yelled all the time. I mean, it was just the whole message. Like, for, for dramatic emphasis, he would just, like, get real quiet. And it was like, oh, no. Like, you know, that was how you go. But, like, the, his tone, the whole message was just, like, a million miles an hour and, and super high volume. And you're probably sitting here and you're like, okay, now I see where it comes from, Kyle. You know, but that was, that, I mean, I'm telling you, he was my favorite preacher. I loved listening to him growing up. There's some messages that he preached that, that impacted me so deeply as a teenager. I was just like, man, I love the preaching of Lou Rossi. There's another preacher. His name's David Gibbs. He's an attorney. And, and some of you have had the opportunity to hear David Gibbs preach before. And when he preaches, there are some preachers that when they preach, it's crazy. They preach in such a way that, I mean, like, you just... You're on the edge of your seat. It's, you feel like you're like watching a movie as they're preaching. It's just like every word. You're just hanging by a thread. And, and I've been in many messages where David Gibbs would stand up and he would preach a message. And, and it would be over an hour long. But you're sitting there going, please don't end. This is so good. And I mean, you're just, you're just soaking it in. Just like, oh, this is, this is so cool. And I love listening to David Gibbs. One of my favorites recently is, is, is a preacher by the name of Kurt Skelly. And, and Kurt Skelly, he's a, he's a genius. I mean, it's just incredible. And he gives an incredible amount of information when he preaches. And, and there's a lot of background into his stories and, and, and to the messages that he preached. And, and, and listen, every one of them, every one of them are different in their communication. But every one of them are incredibly powerful in their preaching. Because God designed every teacher and preacher differently in their style. The goal is not to be like someone else. It's important that, that we realize that we all connect better with, with some than others. There, there's some, I have no doubt, there's some in this church that come to church and they're like, man, I just wish that we could get somebody else. <laughs> like, somebody that communicated a little bit more clearly or something like that. And sorry, this is what you get, okay? But, I mean, that's, I mean, everybody connects differently with different people. But, but friend, if God's word is open, this, this is an important truth. If God's word is open and God's word is preached, understand this, you should always get something from it. While, while some may speak to you more than others, and you might connect with some better than others, if God's word is open and God's word is preached, you should get something from, from God's word. Do you know the common denominator and the power of, 
of those preachers and so many others. It's not their style because they're all different. No, it's, it's often the conviction with which they preach God's Word. You see, I wouldn't give two cents for a preacher that has no passion or convince, conviction for the Word that they are preaching. I wouldn't give you two cents for, for somebody that stands up here and, and speaks something from this book that they don't actually believe for themselves. No, 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 listen, this is where the power comes from. And and whenever we study it, and as a preacher, when you preach it, listen, there ought to be a fire, there ought to be a burning inside of you that says, I gotta get this out, I gotta share it, I gotta communicate this, and Lord help me to say it in a way that they understand. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 20, verse number 9. He said, listen, uh, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. That's what he said. He said, listen, I'm not gonna preach anymore. I'm not gonna say it anymore. But this, this word, oh, It was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary for for bearing, and I could not say. He said, listen, I had to preach it. I had to give it. It was burning inside of me. I had to give it out. I had to give the truth of the Scripture. In Acts chapter number 4, the disciples were commanded not to speak about Jesus. You know what their response was? In verse number 20, they said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Oh, friend, as long as hell is still hot and heaven is still sweet, may the preachers that stand behind this pulpit preach with fire. Not in their volume, not in their style, but preach with fire of conviction from God's Word. That they know God's Word and they believe it and they are doing everything that they can to communicate it so that we the hearers can get from it. May the teachers that teach in our classes Come to the sobering realization that one day they will give an account for what they say. And may we receive God's word that is preached with the same hunger and same conviction and same passion that it's being preached with. As one preacher said it this way, he said, may we preach as dying men to dying men. And can I add a little bit? May we receive it as dying men from a dying man. Receive it with conviction, with passion, with a hunger. James gives a sobering caution to anyone that teaches or preaches from the Word of God. And I pray that as your pastor, God would help my preaching to be hot because of the reality of the fires of hell, to be scripture-filled because that's where the real power is and to be full of conviction because, listen, friend, this book contains and is the truth. And this book changes lives. Now, as we finish this morning, I hope you realize this. Listen, I want us to realize this, that the standard is impossibly high to be met all the time. I listen, I'm just telling you, okay? This is where the comfort comes in. Listen, this was all for you. Now it's for me, okay? I'm just telling you, all right? We'll pick up here next week. We'll continue on from verse number two. But, but listen, in verse number two, you know what it really is? It's a comfort to the teacher of God's Word. Because in verse number one, he says, listen, hey, listen, uh, don't seek to be many masters. He says, listen, because one day, hey, you're going to stand in greater judgment, greater condemnation because of what you say and how you say it. And so you better say it clearly. You better communicate it correctly. You better make sure you're not taking something, pulling it out of context and plugging it in here to get your preference or your, your opinion across. You better not be taking it out and putting, putting it in here so you can promote something politically. He said, listen, no, you need to preach the word of God as it was intended in the context that it was written. And he said, you better not do it the wrong way because you're going to stand account for it. And listen, as a preacher, you know what makes me want to do? It makes me want to close my Bible and walk away and say, I'll never preach again because that's terrifying. It's terrifying. So then James writes that second verse and it's, it's a comfort to me. James says this, for in many things we fend all. Can I, can I put it in our terms today? He says this, he says, listen, we all mess up in a lot of things. 
That's what he says, okay? He said, and listen, he says, all of us, he says, we all have our failures. We all have our faults. We all have our mess-ups. Nobody's perfect. That's what he's getting at here. But look what he says here. But if any man offend not the word, that man's a perfect man, Nabal also to bridle the whole body. You know what he says here? He says, listen, if you never mess up when you're sharing God's word, if you never say something the wrong way, you never, never uh, mis, mis, misconstrue something, and you never, if, you, if you never make a mistake, he said, listen, can I tell you what you are? You're a perfect man. There's only one of those that's been here. <laughs> if there were a man that never failed in his teaching and preachings, he would be perfect. Friend, can I be super transparent with you this morning? I mean, let's just, let's just, I mean, we're real every week. I mean, like, I hope you don't expect to come and, ex- and, and get some show or some fake thing. I mean, what you see is what you're going to get, okay? It's just, it's just what, how it is. I mean, every week I, I try to be transparent. But, but this morning, can I just tell you this? I'm not a perfect pastor. Not a perfect man. Not a perfect friend. Perfect father, perfect husband, perfect son. I'm none of those things. I strive to be the best that I can for the Lord. But I understand that I fall so far short. And if you come to this church expecting a pastor that's going to do things perfectly and run things just right and say things just the way you like them all the time in every message, can I tell you? You're going to be sorely disappointed. (laughs) If you think every message you hear is going to be a home run, I'm just telling you there's going to be somewhere you're going to walk home and say, man, it's not what I thought. No matter where you go, though, I can tell you this. You'll be disappointed. (laughs) Because there are no perfect people. There are no perfect pastors. We're all just imperfect people following a perfect Savior. As a pastor, there are oftentimes more days of discouragement than encouragement sometimes. There are seasons of life. And, and listen, it's the same for all of us. We all go through valleys. We all go through hard times. And it's the job of the preacher to stand up on Sunday morning and preach from a mountaintop when sometimes you're trying to shout from a valley. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes you can't put your finger on why. You ever been there before where it's just like, man, I just, ugh, I don't know why. Everything's great. But, uh, sometimes that's just the way that it feels. You live the hope and the challenge of verse number, tw- number one, but you live in the reality of verse number two. <laughs> Church, can I ask you as a pastor for the same thing that Paul asked the church at Ephesus? Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 18, he said this, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance, supplication for the saints. Here he's finishing up the whole armor of God. But then he says this, And for me, pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Listen, church, I can tell you this. I need your prayers. My family needs your prayers. I, I have, I, listen, I'm just going to tell you, my kids, they aren't perfect. And you all know it, okay? You've seen them, Okay. But can I tell you what I don't expect them to be? Perfect. Because I've watched way too many pastors think their kids should be perfect, only to watch their kids grow up and hate God and run the other direction. So I'm going to tell you this. You've got a pastor that isn't perfect with a family that isn't perfect. My wife is pretty close, but she's not perfect either. And if you expect perfection, you are going to be disappointed. 
But I love what James says. Because while I know I've fallen so short as your pastor so often, I find so much comfort when James puts his arm around me and says, listen, Kyle, in many things, we offend all. James knew what it was to fail and succeed in teaching and preaching God's word. And listen, I can guarantee this. He and pastor in a church of 20, 25, 30,000 people, he knew it way better than what I do. Now, friend, I know in a lot of ways a message like this can come across self-serving. And that's why, listen, friend, I, I would never just take a verse like this and just pull it out and preach it. In fact, it, it, it's an easy one just to skip over and just say a couple things and not even spend any time with But as we preach verse by verse through the Word of God, sometimes we come to verses like this that serve as a reminder. A reminder of what you should expect from the teachers and preachers of God's Word. A reminder of how we should respond to that preaching. And listen, friend, a reminder that your pastor isn't perfect, and neither was James. And neither was any other person that's ever stood behind a pulpit and preached, or stood in a classroom and preached, aside from Jesus Himself. But I can tell you this, while I'm not perfect, we serve a perfect Savior. And So what should we do? Collectively, all of us together, what should we do? I'll tell you what we, we should do. I'm like James, what we should do here. I'll tell you what we should do. Hebrews chapter number 12, we, we saw the first couple verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which just so easily beset us, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. All the while, don't look to your pastor. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your mind. Friend, this morning, can I tell you this? Listen, you have an imperfect pastor. You have an imperfect pastor's family. Listen, we're imperfect people. But can I tell you what? We have a perfect book. And we have a perfect Savior. And I challenge each and every one of us today. Don't look for some person to be perfect. But set your eyes on Jesus. The only one who is perfect. Look unto him, the author and finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes set where they should be. And understand this pastor knows the great weight that comes from being the pastor of the church. And I ask you to pray for me. And set your eyes on Jesus. And I promise you this. I'll pray for you. And I'll keep setting my eyes on Jesus. And together, we'll run this race for the Lord. Together. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed today. I know today was a very different message from what we normally preach, but it's no less important. I'm thankful for this church, and in all honesty, I wouldn't have just pulled this message out and said, oh, let's preach this one because I'm not addressing anyone in particular. I'm not addressing any specific things. Listen, I'm not going to quit tomorrow. I have no desire to, to step away from this. I'm thankful for where God has, has put me. I'm thankful for what, what God is doing here, and I'm thankful for, for this church. But as we go verse by verse through the Scripture, sometimes we come to verses like this that is just a, a good reminder. And I hope this morning that you just be reminded what God's word has to say. How we should respond, what we should expect from the the word of God and the preaching from this pulpit. What we should expect from God's word. And I hope this morning, each and every one of us will purpose in our heart to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because he's the only one that's worthy. He's the only one that can change your life. And I hope this morning we'll look to him.
With heads bowed and with eyes closed, the music plays. Let's stand together. God's spoken to your heart. We have a time where you respond to Him. You can do it in a seat. You can come to an altar. But if God spoke to your heart this morning, I hope you'll take a few moments and just spend with Him. Spend a few minutes just, just praying. And you say, Kyle, what, what, what am I supposed to pray about? Like, listen, I, sometimes I just want the Holy Spirit to take it, step in, and intervene in some way. Because sometimes, I'll just be honest, sometimes I just feel like I stand up and just make a mess of things. But I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit, He has the power to intervene and to unmuddy those water, clear things up, and make it clear for each individual. So I hope this morning you let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Respond. Music plays. You respond to the Lord this morning. Allow Him to, to work in your heart. Let's go ahead and sing together.